0: Be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 22. Acts, chapter 22. Thank you, Jesus. Acts, chapter 22. We'll begin our reading with verse 3. Thank you, Lord. Well, we are in that part of the year where the thermostat is switched from cool to heat. But if you're feeling like I am right now, I'd like to have the cool on. (laughs) But uh, so glad for the faithfulness of God that is proven to us throughout every season of life. Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God. I was zealous, passionate, sincere, genuine toward God, just like all of you are here this day. Verse 4 He says, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Notice how he phrased it. He said, I persecuted this way unto the death. That phrase, this way, he's referring to Christianity as we know it. He's referring to followers of Christ. That they characterized By referring to them as people of the way. Because how many knows to live for Jesus Christ means you're on a path, and you're walking that path. He said, "I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering these people into prisons, both men and women." Verse five, and as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went. To Damascus, to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Says, I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed. For thee to do. Somebody say amen to the word. Hallelujah. Amen. I've come to preach from this subject that I feel led of the Lord to share with you today. When your mess is better than your best. When your mess is better than your best. Would you lay your Bibles down and free up your hands one more time so that we could lift them up toward heaven and ask the Lord very specifically to speak to us today from His Word. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. Thank you for my church family. Thank you, O Lord, for people that have given themselves to the spiritual discipline of prayer, that have been praying that you would continue to order the steps of the refuge, that you would allow us to make a great impact on this city and the surrounding area. Lord, we are gathered here to worship you, to give together, to pray together, and to hear your word. I'm asking that as a messenger that you would help me to speak as your spirit would lead me to speak. I believe that I am filled with your spirit, and I endeavor to walk after the spirit today and to speak your word. I pray that each and every one of us will have an ear to hear what the spirit would say to each and every one of us as well as Lord us together collectively as a church body we want to advance forward we want to see the kingdom of God established we want to see souls that are lost be saved and disciples be strengthened in the name of Jesus we pray all of these things we give you all the glory would you clap your hands and give the Lord glory right now and give him praise we love you Jesus God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing together with me in honor to the word of the Lord. When my mess is better than my best. Recently, and I've referred to this podcast before that I listen to quite regularly, called The Briefing. It's hosted by a minister Southern Baptist minister named Albert Moeller. And he had a special episode on Friday, September 18th. And what he endeavors to do is supply world news through a Christian perspective. Albert Moeller began his remarks by stating Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died at her home tonight in Washington, D.C., bringing to an end one of the most epic and influential tenures of any justice on the Supreme Court of the United States. By any measure, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was history, and she made history. Later in his comments, he shares the things that she fought for during her career, being a very vocal leader, in the drive for women's equality and overall feminist movement. The fact is, he says, the fact is Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of the most effective defenders of abortion, which is to say one of the most significant advocates of legal abortion in any recent period of American history. What she made very clear is the fact that she was going to uphold to the greatest degree of her influence what she would have considered a woman's right to abortion under any and all circumstances. She dismissed the fact that any government had any right to speak into this issue on behalf of the dignity and sanctity of the unborn life. Listen carefully. And let's just remember, he goes on to say, what we're talking about here with partial birth abortion. It was the procedure whereby a baby who was either at or practically at full-term development was partially delivered and the abortion taking place at just the last minute so that the death of the baby would be categorized as an abortion rather than a homicide. Now, one of the things for Christians to consider here, he says, is the fact that we often tend to use language and furthermore even to fall into patterns of thinking that insinuate that we are looking at our side coming with principles and convictions up against the other side that comes to us merely with an agenda. But we have to recognize they come with their own principles and their own convictions, too. Here's what we need to recognize this is how worldviews work. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not a political opportunist. She put herself on the line at a time when it was politically and, for that matter, professionally unpalatable and almost untenable. It was not popular. She put her career at risk. She she had graduated from Cornell University where she met her future husband, Martin D. Ginsburg, who also became a lawyer. She and he eventually went to Harvard Law School. She eventually graduated, having her last year of law school at Columbia Law school there in New York City. She graduated with a law degree from Columbia University, and she put just about everything that she had done up to that point at risk, being one of just a handful of women who had been in her Harvard Law School class. Her number was nine out of 500 entering students. Stay with me today. Albert Moeller concludes his thoughts here by saying the point I'm making is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg demonstrates a remarkable consistency over the entirety of her legal and professional career, both before the court as the litigator and advocate and on the court as a Supreme Court justice. There is no reason to doubt that she was operating out of a deep reservoir of conviction. And she spoke often of her principles and her conviction. That's why she became so lionized and honored on the left side of politics. That's why she became known as the notorious RBG. The reference was intentional about being uh, connected with a well-known rap artist. So Christians here should pause for a moment and recognize that, we, that what we're actually observing here is that very deep and very genuine division amongst the American people when it comes to our basic understanding of the world. Those basic principles and convictions from which we operate. Here's the point. It's not enough to be a person of conviction. It's not enough to be a person of principle. If those convictions are wrong and those principles are erroneous, Christians looking at Ruth Bader Ginsburg see and respect her courage, a courage that kept her in that role far longer than many others, could have survived a courage that was demonstrated in how she fought against recurring bouts of cancer. She was born in 1933. She died this evening, he says, at the age of 87. And furthermore, Christians understand that we should respect the grieving of those who have lost a loved one. In in this case, it would have been James and Jane, her son and daughter. They've lost their mother. Now, he said many things before and after those comments that I just quoted to you. But it was a podcast episode that, to my surprise, was that of respect towards the life and career of this Supreme Court justice. But he makes the powerful point, of which I would make here today, is that one can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. A person can genuinely hold very deep convictions regarding a decision, lifestyle, et cetera, yet no matter how authentic they are, it will never negate fallacy and error. Justice Ginsburg was extremely sincere in her convictions. The point he was trying to make is that no matter how popular Her convictions or opinions were, she stood by them even when her own career was on the line. We can be sincere. We can be genuine to the core of our being, doing, speaking, and thinking that we are living 100% by what we believe to be right. But we must acknowledge that those things do not automatically make us right. doesn't matter how passionate we are about certain things. Let me make just one more comment regarding the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I heard a comment regarding her tenure, her career, and her agenda, as some might call it that she wanted the age of consent to be lowered to 12 years old. This was uh, made very public in posts and in memes and graphics by what some would call the right wing. And a small amount of fact-checking che- that I did on this, what I heard about her, found it to most likely be very, very different than what actually said. So let me say this, regarding our involvement with political and polarizing issues that pertain to earthly governments and kingdoms, let me repeat that statement again so I have your attention. Regarding our involvement with political and polarizing issues that pertain to earthly governments and kingdoms, refuge, family, be very careful that we do not fiercely fight and debate for issues regarding politics, yet remain sinfully silent in telling people about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I stand here as a man who has my own opinions, who would vote my conscience, and I could share those with you privately and personally if you care to hear them. But let me tell you, I better not be guilty of being a champion of politics and my opinions and remain sinfully silent about my Savior and my testimony and the church that he has in the world today. Somebody say amen. But the point, again, I seek to pull from this podcast episode about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life is that she indeed was genuine. She was authentic, though she was genuinely and authentically wrong according to the Word of God and not mere my opinion. But according to God's line of morals, she was absolutely wrong in her stance on many things. But her sincerity does not excuse her error. I have focused recently, especially this past Thursday night and in previous times that I have preached to this church about the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Let me bring to you very briefly one more king. His name is Ahaz. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 28, verse 19, That the Lord humbled the kingdom of Judah because Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So we find that the king of Assyria is used as an instrument of the Lord to come against the king of Ahaz and Judah and afflict him instead of strengthening King Ahaz. Listen carefully. Verse 21 of 2 Chronicles 28, the Bible says, Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria, But the king of Assyria, even with all that he gave him, did not help Ahaz. It goes on to say in verse 22, in the time of his distress, Ahaz was in great distress. He was filled with anxiousness and worry and turmoil and strife in his soul. In the time of great distress, the Bible says he became yet more faithless to the Lord. The same King Ahaz became utterly faithless towards the Lord his God. Verse 23 says he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, This is what King Ahaz said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they might help me. Did you catch that? King Ahaz spot. He was afraid for his life and for his kingdom. And so what he did is he took every precious metal, every precious stone, everything that was valuable and considered treasure in his kingdom, in the temple, and of his princes. And he offered them to the king of Assyria so that the king of Assyria might help him. But instead of helping him, he only hurt him. And what he did next, we find that in this time of great distress, that he took the precious things and he began to sacrifice to the false gods of Damascus. And he said within himself, if those gods who helped Damascus defeat me and the gods of Syria helped them to defeat me, then if I would sacrifice to those same gods, then perhaps they will help me as they have helped them. But we find that they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of his God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he nailed the doors of the temple closed. And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem, in every city of Judah. He made high places to make offerings to false gods, provoking the anger of the Lord, the God of his fathers. Are you catching this? King Ahaz was in great distress. He was in hard times. He had hit rock bottom. And when he had hit rock bottom, we find that he, even at that time, even more so cried out to false gods. He nailed closed the temple doors. He said, nobody's going to go to church. And instead, he erected and built up altars so that he could worship and sacrifice to false gods. He offered every precious thing, every great thing he could get his hands on. He offered to the false gods. Listen to me. He did not do that out of spite and rebellion against the God of heaven. He did that because he sincerely thought that these false gods could help him. Are you hearing me tonight? You see, he would sacrifice what was most valuable and precious. If you don't believe me, believe the Bible account. For it says in 2 Chronicles 28, verse 1, that Ahaz was 20 years old when he became the king, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. He was an evil king, unlike his ancestor, King David. Verse 2, listen very carefully. For he followed the example of the kings over in Israel and worshipped the idols of Baal. He went out to the valley of Hinnom, and it was not just to burn incense to the idols. Catch this now. Catch it. He says he goes to the valley of Hinnom, and he doesn't just go there to burn incense or fire sweet fragrance to false gods. No, but the Bible records that he at this time even sacrificed his own children in the fire just like the heathen nations that were thrown out of the land of the Lord that God made room for Israel. He says that even even in his sincerity, in his desperation, he was looking for help. He was looking for something to bring him peace. He was looking for something to bring his house peace. And so he was willing to give that We've Even sacrificing His own children on the altar. Surely this account found in Scripture has nothing that is relevant to us in this room today, right? Surely the account of King Haaz is so far removed from anything that anyone would do in this room today, right? I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Oh, sure, sure. We may not go up to a, 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 a stone image of this divine being whose belly is carved out hollow and whose hands are held out and a fire is in his hands. Sure, nobody in this room would take their precious children and lay them bound, screaming on that fire to be sacrificed to the God of Baal and Moloch. No, no. No, I don't, I, I I would not think that anybody in this room would do such an uh, atrocious thing, but hear me right now. We've got to be very careful not to make the same mistake in principle, perhaps not in practice, but in principle as the king of Ahaz or any wicked king that came before him. We make the mistake by looking through our lens of our life at these examples in scripture and think ourselves so far removed and we would never do that and we think it's ridiculous how the people of Israel could be in the wilderness and waiting for the redemption of their land and think how could they backslide? How could they rear up an altar after they come out of Egypt? After they came through the Red Sea and we think it's ridiculous how in the world could they backslide and keep going back to golden images that they make? We ask ourselves How is that possible? But how many times have I been guilty of the same thing in principle, though not entirely in practice, where I have returned to my own vomit, those things that God delivered out of me, and I go eating those things that God delivered me from again and again. Oh, God, please help us here today to realize that those examples that are left to us are not examples of hypocrites but of sincere people who were times in great distress that they were looking for hope and they were looking for help and they just simply turned to the wrong thing. And they were willing to give their best to it. Hear me now. They were willing to give their most precious things, valuable things, their money, uh, their time, and their children. They were willing to invest their money and their time and their children giving themselves devoted to something that they are convinced. They are convinced that it will bring them peace. They are convinced that it will help their home. They are convinced that it will bring them victory. Help me. Help me, Lord. I find in Scripture an example of another king. His name is Asa. And Asa had a problem, but even in his plight, he would still not turn and seek the Lord. The Bible records in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and the Bible says that Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to the physicians. I'm not here damn and condemn physicians and doctors and nurses or medical professionals. No, my family and I, we will make ourselves available to the guidance and the counsel of medical professionals just like the rest of us, but hear me today in the times of the severity of our disease or dis-ease, the times when we are made to feel uncomfortable, the times when the ease of our lives is stripped from us. It is in those times that God would like to see a radical turn of repentance where we turn to him and we trust him and not the arm of our flesh and not the arm of man and not the resources that we can avail ourselves to even if they are physicians ultimately our cry ought to be to the lord god of heaven that he alone can help us somebody say amen we ought to turn to the lord we ought to turn to him with everything We ought to give him our best, but I'm here to convince you, I'm here to warn you that sometimes your best is not good enough and that your mess can do you better than your best. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, I was reading it this morning, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says, If the Lord Almighty had not stepped in to save a few of us, We would have been wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, you leaders of Israel, of which I would echo and say, listen, you leaders of the Refuge Church, listen, you leaders of your homes, listen, you men, Isaiah says, you men of Sodom and Gomorrah, as I call you now, listen to the Lord, hear what he is telling you. Somebody lean forward like you're listening intently. Lean forward, lean forward. Listen. Hear what the Lord is telling you. Here it is. I'm sick of your sacrifices. Say what? Don't bring them anymore. Come again? I don't want the fat of rams. I I don't want to see the blood of your offerings. Who wants your sacrifices when you have no sorrow for your sins? The incense you bring to me is a stench in my nostrils. Your holy celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, you're fasting. Even your most pious meetings, they're all frauds. It's a charade. I want nothing more to do with them. I hate them all. God says, I can't stand the sight of them. Everybody say, Oh, me. Everybody say, Oh, me. He said, I can't stand the sight of them. From now on, when you pray with your hands, stretch out to heaven. I will, I will not look. I will not listen. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear them, for your hands are those of murderers. They are covered with the blood of your innocent victims. Oh, wash yourselves, be clean. Let me no longer see you doing all these wicked things. Quit your evil ways. Learn to do good, to be fair, and to help the poor, the fatherless, and the widows come. Let's talk this over, God says. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I could take it out and I could make you clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. If you will only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. But if you keep on turning your back, using to listen to me, you will be killed by your enemies. I, the Lord, have. Did you hear what he's saying? let me put it to you this way. Your best won't do, but your mess will do better than your best. He says quit trying to play games. Quit trying to put on the mask, acting like everything's alright, and bringing these great, wealthy, pious sacrifices. I see the things that you put in the offering plate. I hear your voice when you make a song of melody. I hear your prayer when you make it loud, loud enough for everybody to hear, but I won't watch them. I won't hear them. I won't receive them. Because your heart is not right. It's far from me. You're pretending that everything's okay, and you're bringing me your best. I won't deny it. It's your best. You're giving me your best offerings. I don't know if I've ever received a better offering than what you're receiving, materially speaking, than you've ever given before. But let me tell you, it's not your offerings I want. It's your heart. It's your heart. It's your heart, and your heart's a mess. And your heart's filled with guile. And your heart's filled with bitterness and and anger and sin. Your heart, your, your heart is torn in two. And it's looking towards this way and that way. And it's looking every way. Which way but me? Toward me. He says, I don't want your best. I want your mess. I want you to be real with me. I want you to come before me in an honesty and a truthfulness that says, Lord, I need your help. Hallelujah. I'm reminded of the scripture where the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, not in our strength. He doesn't take our great talents and our abilities, our great treasure or our time that we give to him and say, look, I'm going to receive glory through the best things that they have to offer. Oh, make no mistake. God does deserve first. God does deserve first. God does deserve our best. Make no mistake about that, but don't misunderstand the, the, the pursuit of priority to be confused with the God who looks for sincerity. Just while people can be sincerely wrong, God does not excuse you to try to give truth without sincerity. Jesus said, I know you're looking for a place to worship to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4, but he says the time and the hour is now when God is looking for true worshipers and he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, those who will worship him sincerely and honestly, those that will give themselves to the word of God and to the pursuit of God himself. Somebody shout amen. What does God want from me? I bring this message to a close. Maybe you've asked this question out loud. Maybe you've asked it just in your own musings, your mind, your thoughts. When you're at the end of your rope and you feel like there's nothing left to hold on to you and you're losing strength and you're about to let go and you're just wondering if I should just give up. And you ask, when you feel like everything's against you, everyone's against you, everything's going wrong, you ask, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? Are there any real people in the house today? where you ask, what does God want from me anyways? I'll tell you what he wants. But first let me tell you what he doesn't need. He doesn't need your money. Though he expects us to honor him with the first tenth of our increase. He doesn't need our talents, for he could take a man who is slow of speech and lead two million people out of Egypt. He doesn't need your wits, your brain, your wisdom, for God has all wisdom and all knowledge. God wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. You see, He's already given the sacrifice that's required. He's already paid the price that was owed. He only asks for your surrender. He does not need, he does not require your penance. But he does call for your repentance. For by grace are you saved. through faith not of ourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast I cannot earn my forgiveness I cannot earn my healing no matter how hard I try no matter how hard I am on myself somebody needs to hear me today No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you are on yourself, no matter how many times you beat yourself up and talk about how you're good for nothing and you're miserable and you made such a mess of things, no matter how many great things you might set out to accomplish and achieve in your life, no matter what great things you do for others, no matter how many good things you do for those who are in need, he just wants obedience. Just wants your faith, and through your faith—that is obedient faith—he will bring grace that is sufficient. How serious are we about getting our lives right today? How serious am I about getting my life right today? In Second Kings, chapter five, verses nine through fourteen, it tells of a story of of a captain of the Syrian army. The man's name is Naaman. The Bible records about how great this captain was, how strong and fierce and loyal and powerful Naaman was. But it adds this little footnote to his record. He was a leper. He was great, but he was a leper. The Bible says that this Naaman, through one of his servants, He heard that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him. The king of Syria sends him with about $100,000 worth of gold and silver, along with precious clothing. And he sends Naaman to go search out this prophet in Israel And his first stop is with the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is in great distress. He says, I can't heal you. What do you expect me to do? This is a trap. You're just looking for an excuse to kill me and to destroy Israel. But then he goes on to the prophet's house. And when he arrives to the prophet's house, the prophet would not even come to the door. But he sends a servant to the door and tells Naaman, Go and dip seven times in the Jordan. You know the story? And Naaman is all up in arms. He throws a fit. He walks away so frustrated, so mad, so disturbed. And he walks away, all of that, and guess what? He was still a leper. He still had a terrible disease that absolutely ravaged his body and made him live in utter misery. And on his way back to Syria, one of the servants spoke truth to him. And said Naaman, Master. You know that if he would have asked some great thing of you, you would have done it, no doubt. Naaman, it doesn't matter how great the price, no matter what great work that the prophet would have told him to do, he would have done the greatest. He would have given his best, just. At a shot to be clean from his disease. But because he asked you to dip in the lowly, humiliating Jordan River, you walk home today filled with disease. That's right. And Naaman realizing the air of his way, he swallowed his pride and he went to the Jordan. And he dipped, just as the prophet had said. And on the seventh time, he came up out of that water, and his flesh was as pure and clean as a newborn baby, restored whole. (laughs) With every head bowed and every eye closed, I hope that somebody is making the connection in your mind from the Word of God from heaven to your soul and to your life. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're facing today, but I'm here to tell you that God is not asking for some great expensive gift. He's not asking for some deed of penance where you beat yourself up or do something to yourself that will somehow pay the wages of your sin. No, He's already paid them for you. (laughs) He's just looking for you to humble yourself and turn in your mess so that he could clean you up. It's not much. In fact, when you look at it, you're going to say, Is that all? Is that all you want from me? In fact, it's going to be so simple that you think that it's beneath you and that it won't work. But I'm here to tell you that the same message that worked for the first century church will work for the 21st century people that are gathered here today. It's not great. It's not some gigantic task. No, it's just putting a step of obedience in front of another step of obedience and saying, Lord, I will live for you. I will walk after your ways. Oh, come on, lift up your voice right now. Begin to call upon the name of the Lord. I started off this message reading from Saul or the Apostle Paul's life and testimony. He said, listen, I was so filled with passion and zeal. I was doing everything I could do for God. But guess what? I was doing it all wrong. And I didn't know it until God stepped in and he showed up. And he showed me a better way. He showed me who he was someone here today I don't doubt that some of you are so sincere that you are so genuine in your desire to do what is right and to make the best for your for your life, for your family, for your children. But don't be mistaken, God's not looking for the complicated. He's not looking for some grand gift. He's looking for your obedience. He's looking for you to make your way down to a muddy river (laughs) where your mess will fit in with all the rest. And you'll simply obey and say, Lord, I surrender to you. (laughs) Come on, you don't need to make the mistake of, of paying out all kinds of money and going after all sorts of things there's plenty of people that have traveled that road before us that has sought to make career king that has put sports above all else that has even put family first all to be sorely disappointed that none of those things could take the place of the prince of peace of the risen savior Jesus Christ with every head bowed and every eye closed I don't believe that there is a person under the sound of my voice that couldn't use just a good dose of surrender right now surrendering self surrendering mess Jesus says I've not come to call the whole for they do not need a physician I've come to call the sinner and the sick if you're here right now Doesn't matter how broken you feel, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the answer. It might seem too simple to work, but I promise He still works. Right where you're sitting, would you begin to call upon the name of Jesus right now? Right now where you're sitting, would you just begin to call upon the name of the Lord? This is our altar call. This is our time to respond to the word, Jesus Jesus, Jesus, have your way right now. Have your way in my life, oh Lord. Fill this room, church family, fill this room with the sound of prayer. Fill this room with the sound of surrender. Oh Lord, I need you more than I need anything else. I need you, Lord. Lord. It's not complicated, my friend. It's not complicated. Can I tell somebody something right now? Maybe you're battling with addiction in your life. You don't have to wait till you have 365 days sober under your belt to obtain the grace and the mercy of God that could deliver you and set you free and bring you peace that no drug, no drop of alcohol, no nothing could give you but Jesus Christ. Come on. On the first day of your sobriety, you could find the grace of God to be sufficient for your life right now stop thinking that you need to work so hard to earn the grace of God if you could work it to earn it then it's not grace come on God has grace for you right now that is more than sufficient for your life oh cry out to the Lord church family I'm looking for people that will lift up their voice and blaze a trail in this room right now. Don't wait on anybody else. Would you be the voice that cries out in a cry of repentance and say, Lord, nothing else will do but you. Nothing else will do but you, Lord God. I love you, Jesus. We need you, Lord, right now. Have your way in this place, Jesus. Your way this take place, me Lord. there, take me there. That's if you're looking that's for that's an offering, it's right here. My life is here. I'll be a living. That's it. That's it. Someone needs to know that right now your mess will do a whole lot better for you than your best. Someone needs to know that the Lord is looking for you to finally hand over the mistakes and the mess and the problems that perhaps your own hands have created and made and just surrender them to the Lord. Purify, you take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. I oh, that's be it. Tried that's it. We need to have a breakthrough in this place today. In the name of Jesus. You take whatever you desire. Hallelujah. Lord, Hallelujah. Here's my Hallelujah, life. Hallelujah, Lord, if the Lord. altars where you need us. Take me there. Take me there if you're looking for an offering. It's right here. My life is here, and I'll be alive. That's it. Let's pray. Let's spend time Set in prayer. Let's call on the name of the for Lord. For you, you're a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be.